More than tangles and angles, the only way to wrangle the never-ending yearning for learning is creating what's next imagined on your XPS. Get into your universe at dell.com slash XPS. Verify for exceptional experiences with Intel Evo Platform. Hello, everyone. This is Isaac, and you are listening to the Conspiracy Theories and Unpopular Culture Podcast. This week, we have special guest William Ramsey. He was a previous guest before. Uh, a couple of years ago. And since then, he's been busy exploring the realm of the occult. He has written several books, Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. He also wrote Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, as well as Children of the Beast, Alistair Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity, which we talk about all three of those books in this episode. Uh, the reason why I had him on is because he just released a new project. It's a documentary called The Smiley Face Killers, available on Vimeo.com. We'll talk more about that if you are unfamiliar with it. But I have several links on the post for this episode on IlluminatiWatcher.com. If you look for it, you will find some images that we talk about, you know, Charles Manson and these hand signs, which it comes up in the conversation. We also talk a little bit about some of the smiley face symbolism that you see from new movies, uh, you know, and, and we'll get into all that. Uh, one last thing, this entire show, this episode right here is free. You are getting the show in its entirety with all gratitude and thanks going to my Illuminati Watcher Patreon supporters. Uh, my way of showing thanks to them is by not only releasing this episode early for them, like I do every episode. Uh, usually I provide sort of bonus content for them, uh, but the topic of conversation that me and Mr. Ramsey have with Aleister Crowley and 9-11 I think is extremely important. I want everybody to catch the whole thing. Uh, so what I'm going to do, and Mr. Ramsey has been kind enough to help me out with this, I've got a free autographed paperback of his book prophet of evil alistair crowley 9 11 and the new world order uh, which is an outstanding book you will not find another crowley reference book like this uh, it really spells out the true nature of this guy he was uh, quite a disgusting person <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll go into the topics of why that is you know in the show but i'm going to give this copy away to someone on the patreon team so, I'm going to actually give this away on April April 1st, 2018. So, hurry up and go to patreon.com backslash Illuminati Watcher. Become a Patreon. If you become a tier one and up, you get access to all the bonus stuff. Uh, but I'll open this up to anyone on the Patreon uh, support feed. Uh, you can be entered into this giveaway. I will even pay for the shipping. This isn't going to cost you a nickel. So, go ahead and sign up. Uh, I always talk about the Patreon thing. And the reason why is because, if you are unfamiliar, there is this, this agenda unfolding before our eyes to shut down free speech. They are trying to push out conspiracy theorists, and they are definitely throwing the babies out with the bathwater. Because while I agree that some of the sort of conspiracy topics are a bit sort of disgusting, you know, I don't really listen to Alex Jones. I think he's a bit extreme, but I do support that he should be able to, you know, give his free speech to whoever. And I also acknowledge that YouTube is their own entity. They can do what they want. But the point is, there is definite censorship underway. 
they are shutting down some of the YouTube channels. Uh, that's news. It's, it's this week. It's happening. It's, there's an article on Washington Post about it right now. And I actually talked to Mr. Ramsey about that. So anyways, the idea is that Patreon allows us to directly connect with each other. So we no longer have to rely on Google and YouTube, which are methodically shutting down and demonetizing and pushing us out of significance. Uh, you've probably heard me rant and rave about this in the past, so I won't keep going with it. But point is, go to patreon.com backslash Illuminati Watcher, become a Patreon supporter. And on April 1st, you may very well win a free copy of William Ramsey's book on Aleister Crowley. It will definitely blow your mind. He's got references in here and citations from Crowley's actual words, uh, poetry, and books. Uh, the topics on this show range uh, from, you know, William Ramsey's awakening to the occult, uh, 9-11, the West Memphis Three, Smiley Face Killers, Aleister Crowley, some of Crowley's quote-unquote children of the beast. We get a little bit into Charles Manson, Harry Potter, and Gematria of number 11, Nobody's Safe. So enjoy the show, uh, and again, thank you for listening and participating and, and leaving the reviews on iTunes. Okay, I'll shut up now. Thanks. All right, thanks for coming back on the show. I had you on a couple, two, three years ago on a controversial topic of the West Memphis Three, and since then, you've been really working on your research. You've got the YouTube channel going. And you now have this new project about the smiley face killers, which we'll get into here in a bit. Uh, but for those who aren't familiar with your work, I'd like to first kind of, you know, get, get to know you a little bit, get a little bit of your background, at least as much as you're willing to share. I, I realize uh, I'm sure you work from an anonymous perspective like I do, uh, a pseudonym, I, I would guess, maybe. Yes. Uh, okay. Um but yeah, if you want to, because I, the reason I asked this is because I think it's important and for people to understand perhaps what your religious filter or perspective or, you know, spiritual beliefs sure. uh, Not a are. Problem. Okay. I mean, I, I was actually kind of an independent researcher. I was always reading and, you know, before there was any, any internet, you know, maybe in the nineties, I was always looking for alternate explanations for things, the Kennedy assassination, et cetera. I remember reading incredible amounts of information about the Oklahoma City bombings, and there's a lot of uh, alternate ideas and information that was important, but I was really a 9-11 researcher, and so I read a lot about 9-11. Once I realized probably a couple years after the event that 9-11 was not what the uh, media narrative was, that there was, you know, that the Bin Laden, Bin Laden narrative was fake, you know, I want, I researched it when I was researching that, then I, you know, I kind of came across this numerology. I was never really knowledgeable about the occult. I was not an occultist. I was raised in a Catholic household. Uh, I consider myself a Christian. I've done a lot of reading of the Bible independently. And, you know, I'm not a Catholic anymore, but uh, I really didn't have an, a, a background about the occult. And what I noticed and came to realize after researching the, the events of 9-11, that these numbers were all important. 9-11 the numbers of the planes, the height of the buildings, the date, um, you know, the buildings were uh, 110 stories tall. There was all kinds of occult meanings in the architecture and the people involved in it that were surrounding the event. So when I looked into those numbers, the numerology, that led me back to Aleister Crowley because uh, Crowley's kind of ideal number really were those 1177, 93 were all main 
numbers that he used in his ideology, which he called Thelema, which was the religion he created. And that's what led me to write my first book, which was Prophet of Evil, referencing Aleister Crowley. Prophet of Evil, 9-11, Aleister Crowley in the New World Order. Most people wouldn't have put those together, I would think. And that's why I wrote it. I never thought I'd be an author of any in any way, shape, or form. And I was an independent author, too. I never really <clears throat> sent that book around to any publishers or anything. I always wanted to maintain the independence of my thinking and uh, the book. So I did a lot of stuff. I actually, my first book was all printed out on a printer, a literal <laughs> printer, which I compiled and actually did the binding. And then I discovered CreateSpace. And that book was actually sized differently than anything that would be on a library. And then, you know, after I finished that book, I did some interviews and I sold that. And, <clears throat> you know, my interest in Crowley never kind of went away. I, I still am researching Crowley to this day. But then I came across the case of the West Memphis Three in about 2012. And I wrote a book about that, about the occult, because nobody was really talking about the Aleister Crowley and anything involved in that. That was those notions were poo pooed. But the three children were murdered were eight years old, and Crowley said that was the ideal age for a sacrifice. They were bound and drowned. And that actual case has not really gone away. It's actually being, uh, there are people out there today that actually are trying to get the three who are guilty, found guilty in 1994, and then signed an Alfred plea, which is a guilty plea signed in 2011. They're trying today in 2018 to get these guys exonerated. And there are, you know, a lot of specious arguments, sophistry, and just all of the um, deceptive nomenclature of modern PR is involved in getting them out, in my opinion. But uh, <laughs> So that was my second book. And then my third was, I wrote a book kind of tracing the arc of Crowley's influence on the 20th century. That's Children of the Beast. Aleister Crowley, um, that was my Children of the Beast book, Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity, which talks about so many people in modern culture and history that were influenced by Crowley, had att attachment to Crowley, Adolf Hitler, the Beatles, Timothy Leary, Aldous Huxley, it just goes on and on. So many people um, were influenced by his ideas and influenced the 60s and 9-11 event, which I, you know, I, I make an argument for that. And then um, during those, those kind of things is how I came up with, you know, I, I was interested in all the symbolism, which I didn't really know. The smiley face was really the symbol. The really thing that started my interest in Smiley Face Killers was, believe it or not, a David Bowie video, one of the last uh, videos he made, which is Black Star. Um, right when the music starts in that video, there's a smiley face on this uh, spaceman suit, which I believe symbolized David Bowie. He was dying of liver cancer. And I was like, well, why is that there? And so I traced it back to uh, Alan Moore. But that actual usage of the smiley face goes back before that. It's a chaos magic symbol. And that's really what, what got uh, piqued my interest into these series of murders. There was known as the smiley face killings, which other researchers had investigated probably back to the 90s. The, the most important book about this string of deaths is titled Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. It's by Gilbertson and Gannon. Gannon Gilbertson is a college professor, and Gannon was a New York, uh, a retired New York police detective. And they noticed that there were similarities in the cases. And the similarities are that their young men disappear, um, some drug and then are found in water, almost too uniform. And so I set out to research that and um, try to see if there was an occult tie. I actually tried to disabuse the notion that the smiley face was associated with these deaths, and I actually had the opposite. I was completely convinced that that symbol is an important component of this series of deaths, and that's what led me to publish or finish my movie, 
um, and I put it out on Vimeo, kind of a, a censorship-free platform. I had a lot of trouble getting my video up on Amazon. I imagine. Great to, oh, it was a pain. It was a nightmare. I was just like, I give up. So I've had a lot. I'm very pleased with how Vimeo has treated a very controversial movie that is three and a half hours long, tons of research. But uh, that went out in late October, early November. And I've had really good re- references. You can go to the, the site, uh, Vimeo, smiley face, type that in or under my name and look at the reviews. But uh, that was it was a lot of work. I had a lot of help. I had a producer, uh, Nick Blake. I had a researcher, Jim Smith, who we kind of were fellow travelers and came across each other's work right around the same time because I had started making video uh, videos on YouTube. My, I have two YouTube channels, William Ramsey and William Ramsey Investigates. So I was publishing there, them there on individual cases. Probably the real case, in addition to the smiley face, the first case that I followed was of a young man by the name of Joey LeBute who disappeared out of Columbus, Ohio. And... I, when he disappeared, I was following it with Jim Smith. And I say, if that guy shows up in water, I'm going to freak out. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he was found in the Skiota River about two weeks after he disappeared. And no no excuse. The cops didn't say anything was suspicious. He was found in, in shallow water. And you can see that. I cover that case in my movie. But that was really it. And then I started following Jim Smith and me. And I probably followed four or five cases where they disappeared and were found in water that I watched the whole arc of this kind of uh, this whole MO, this whole modus operandi where these people disappear out of bars. And there are other, probably some of the other bigger cases, um, another kid by the name of Dakota James. And I really didn't know what was happening, but I did. My investigation came to, I think, what was a unique conclusion that nobody has really ever talked about. But, um, yeah, it's all there in the film. That's interesting that you um, that you found this connection because – I didn't realize it was maybe a couple of years ago that I had a, a, a personal loss in our family. And I realized that the, the police, they don't solve every murder that exists. Uh, it, it seems like if there's sort of a, a path to least resistance, they go towards that and they close the case, which, um, you know, I, I talked with a friend about this today about like, you know, Heath Ledger and Michael Jackson and all these celebrities that overdose because right. the, the official Elvis story. Elvis Presley. Yeah, Elvis Presley. That actually came up too. Yeah. Um, the, these. Uh, or Kurt Cobain. I mean, their list is very long of these very convenient so-called suicides. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's like if, if, if they can say, you know, it seems like drugs is maybe one of the most common things where if they can say, Oh, they overdose on drugs. Most people shut down and just, you know, they move on because they feel maybe like, yeah, they deserved it. And I feel like that's kind of what we see with this video for the smiley face killers that you've got here is, uh, it's like, you know, these are, Oh, they're just, you know, young, dumb guys that were out too late drinking too much. And and then they drowned. Right. Uh, but it's kind of an unrealistic way to die. it seems kind of crazy. Especially well, I agree with you. And there was actually an FBI uh, document that said that these were just normal drownings, but they're not. They're outside of the normal drowning of, of somebody out at a park during the day. These are so-called drownings that or that happen at late at night. And, you know, part of the, the challenge is really to parse through the cases that are similar. You know, you can really get lost. There are cases that I put five cases on where I think that these young men were actually killed by their friends they were young drug dealers or something like that but these cases that i put together 
including the cases from Gannon and Gilbertson and the ones I studied, they were all similar in that they were found in water after the time that they're supposed to be found. The average duration of somebody being in water is 20 days, like the very out in very cold water, the human body will rise to the surface. Um, and often it's usually three days or even the same day. And a lot of these people have disappeared for a long period of time. And Dakota James is a perfect example. He was gone missing for 40 days or 39 days total. And I had in, inside information that um, he, his body was in excellent condition when he was found. So why is that? How does that happen in places that we're searching? If you watch my documentary again, I go over the Dakota James case and there I'm talking with the police and the police say, oh, yeah, we checked that area yesterday. So mm-hmm. why is it checked there and why is that person show up? And that's actually happened in Deacon Wilkins case, which is out of the UK. That's out of Bristol. Um, these other cases where the body appears in places where they've literally done underwater searches. So there's a, and I think going back to your point, these police have a very, it's easy to just wipe it off the books, accidental drowning. You know, this is, we're, we're done, you know, we're done with that. And, um, in some of these places where they're supposedly drowned, nobody sees them drown and they're very populated places, especially this kind of epicenter of Boston, um, Boston, U.S., where Kelleher, which is another one that I followed where I said, if that guy shows up in the St. Charles River, I'm going to freak out when he disappeared. And sure enough, he showed up in the St. Charles River in a place where there's a lock, which means that it's basically a pond. There's no current. How did that happen after a ba- there were two guys out of there, actually? Um, Hurley and Kelleher both walked out of an arena right there in downtown and disappeared and then were found in the same body of water. How did that happen? One of your uh, one of your victims that you have on that, I shouldn't say your victims, that sounds bad, <laughs> but uh, one of the victims or two of them were at uh, Milton Keys in uh, the UK. Right. Yes. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, but that's also like the location where the, the eyes wide shut masks that you see in the film, in Kubrick's film, there's there the inspiration for those style of masks comes from a statue in Milton Keys, which I, you know, found kind of interesting. Well, it's that those, those masks, I believe go back to Venetian uh, nobility. They would use those masks to walk around and become anonymous in Italy in kind of the Casanova era. And uh, that's what's adopted through eyes wide shut in my, in my understanding. Yeah, and then but they, yeah, that whole Milton Keys area is interesting because that's where they did the code breaking for World War II for Enigma. Um, yeah, it's it's wild. Hmm. And and it's curious in the in uh, the documentary about like you know there there's some people that are protesting these deaths like that one family that you you highlighted, um, and it seems to not really pick up traction, which sort of plays into. This this other idea you have, like with the mess, West Memphis Three, how if if they want to publicize and politicize things, they they put efforts behind it, but other things they don't. Um, so it, I found it interesting that you said that they're still trying to exonerate the West Memphis Three. I didn't know. I thought they they dropped the whole thing and just left it at the. Well, uh, you know. There's a podcast that's taking place right now called supposed truth and justice i put that in quotes and they are going through the case and kind of the narration follows defense points almost to a t so supposed these guys were attacked post mortem by um snapping turtles which is a bunch of nonsense that whole position is just laughable because that means that 
like one, they both, two of the boys, I mean, if you believe in the, um, the medical examiner, that two of the boys almost died from their brain injury, that means that the, they would have had to have been thrown in the water and then a snapping turtle about, about 150 pounds carried a stick and beat him over the head mm-hmm. while they ate him. I mean, it's a joke. It's just, a, it's, if you look at the actual facts of the case, there's a bunch of silly stuff involved, but there's always this push for exoneration. So, um, and they're still under probation. Actually, all three are still under probation at this time. Really? But yeah, yeah it's incredible. I mean, it's, I, I wonder, boggles the mind. I, that, you know, not to stick on with West Memphis three too much, but I, I watched the, the first documentary Paradise Lost back when it came out, which was like, I don't know, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. So you've got 96 or 97. Was that early? Yeah. The, and, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a socially liberal kind of guy. And I watched the first two, three documentaries and I, I really drank the Kool-Aid on it. And I thought, man, these guys are innocent. This sucks, you know? And, and then I read your book on the West Memphis three and read through the actual sort of case files, uh, testimonies, the evidence. And it really made me question it. And I thought, man, maybe they did do it, you know? And, um, it's very hard to believe that three documentaries would come out and omit very salient facts about the case for a long period of time. Yeah, People, they absolutely did. It's hard to believe the omission. And like Orwell said, omission is the greatest form of lie. And those movies omit so much important stuff. There's no talk about Damien Eccles' 500-page psych exhibit from three different hospitals, one in Oregon, um, it doesn't talk about all kinds of stuff. The post-conviction admissions by Miss Kelly. I mean, it's incredible. So you can get this. To, and I believe that those, in my opinion, those three documentaries were politicized and to to promote a narrative of an unjust southern white uh, flyover state, a bunch of hillbillies and a witch hunt. You know, mm-hmm. but if you actually read through the case, you can go through. You need this is even through people who support the West Memphis Three. People like Mara Levert admit and write in her own book, in her own writings, that Damien Eccles wanted to have the Encyclopedia of Witchcraft to read it. I mean, it's incredible, all the stuff that's left out. So hmm. you're going to read, I would suggest the listeners, if you're on the fence or you think these guys are were railroaded by a bunch of moonshine-swilling KKK <laughs> members, um, you know, there's a, there's a more important area. And, you know, when I looked at that case, I wasn't trying to come up with a conclusion. I actually was interested because Alistair Crowley was mentioned in the case. Um, and I came to a conclusion after actually doing my reading and doing my homework. And a lot of the people who have this idea that they're innocent haven't done their homework. They come to conclusions based on, you know, poor information, propaganda, defense points. So it's sad. Absolutely. That's what, cause I have, I have discussions with this with, uh, you know, some of my friends or whatever. And I get the same sort of reaction when I say, eh, they might have done it, you know, and, and, you know, obviously I don't know. I wasn't there, but the, the stuff that I read, you know, in your book, it, it very much raises a ton of questions, especially because, you know, they keep churning out these documentaries. It's like, why do so many of these celebrities and people care so much about these particular guys? And it makes me wonder if, there's not this agenda to sort of retroactively prove that magic with a K magic works because they can cause actual changes in the world by sort of persuading to their the own will conformance to their own world. Yes. The same, yes. Same axiom that Crowley said magic is the ability to change 
make change conformance changes in reality and conformance with the world. So, and Damien Eccles has actually said like axioms from Crowley, you know, the science of religion, these things that he wrote in Equinox. Um, so people who are paying attention or know Crowley's kind of statements would know that he's he's gesturing and making statements that are right in the realm of Crowleyism and occultism. So um, if you look, well, when I first started researching the West Memphis Three, I didn't know much about the celebrities. I didn't know about Johnny Depp. I didn't know Johnny Depp was like had some kind of weird gay relationship with Marilyn Manson. Like in one of your books, you have them on the cover, like almost making out, and they've been done things and gestures in public that are highly sexually charged. But um, yeah, and then know, they got they got all the matching tattoos and matching tattoos, yeah. all kinds of stuff. And and they, I think they all have some kind of weird black sun tattoo on their back I, mm-hmm. I was told the rumor that that uh depp does and nobody's ever seen a picture of it but that i've seen the picture on the back of uh damien eccles of the 77 you know uh black sun tattoo on his back so there's just real similarities what, what you, you read about henry rollins is sketchy margaret Cho's super sketchy um a lot of these guys have a really really weird background you know weird weird friends and um <laughs> They all, almost all of them have like weird murders in that background, you know? Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> the, you know, the people I talk to about this stuff and I say, yeah, maybe they did it. And then, you know, I agree with the idea that, you know, just because Eccles was into Crowley, into Mutual Magic, that doesn't make him a murderer. Agreed. I agree. Um, yeah. It's the other stuff in the book, all the, all the evidence and the testimonies that, that make me think, man, maybe they really did it. But, to me, it feels like, and we can get into this in a bit with the Crowley talk, but you hear the same um, the same narrative about Crowley that you do about the West Memphis Three, because people always say, "Oh, you know, they just picked on these guys because they were these young, you know, teenagers with black Metallica shirts." And you almost hear the same argument about Crowley where people are like, oh, they just picked on Crowley because he was just doing naughty things and saying, you know, real cheeky poetry. And, uh, you know, the Victorian area, those those people didn't like that. They just kind of picked on him for being different. And I think the problem is that people have a superficial knowledge of a lot of subjects, including Crowley, because if they look through Crowley, they would look at Lever 66, the world's tragedy, all of his statements, Lever 77, kill those who frustrate your rights. The child sacrifice stuff. His statement of magic and theory and practice where he talked about the proper human sacrifice as a young boy of high intelligence around eight years old, the same age of the people who died in the West Memphis Three. So it's just silly. And I think that really um, what you'll find and what I've found of being online and being in this public forum that a lot of occultists pop in to try to disabuse your understanding of Crowley and actually are the ones actually saying you're crazy or why are you denying this? because they don't want you to really know yeah yeah it's pretty crazy with the crowley thing because it's quite obvious and and i find it interesting because the the sort of liberal hollywood elites they you know i don't want to i don't want to sound like a big but like in general they seem to be the ones that are more like uh adore crowley or at least know who he is whereas the masses not really were familiar with him and it's funny to me that they uh, you know, they wear those T-shirts and, and they seem to think he's an okay guy. But if you look at his history, he was, uh, you know, domestic violence of beating up his women, oh, yep. killing animals. He Ale- branded all of his scarlet women with a brand of the mark of the beast on their chest like a cow. Yeah. So they all had brands right in between on their breastbone. So, you know, I mean, this is not a 
pretty guy, you know, a lot of weird sexual stuff and, you know. Yeah, we'll, and we'll get into that yeah, in the okay. uh, second part of this. Um, yeah. let, me, let me see here. So the Smiley Face Killers, uh, you know, you talked a bit about them. On, on the documentary, you've got, you know, a couple hours of, of different cases. Um, are, are there any particular cases that you 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 think are more I don't know occultish I should say but more sort of devious than others are they all kind of the same thing just repeated over and over and over I mean it's the same pattern bar young man late at night drugged possibly or acting strange disappear then found in water so mm-hmm. they're almost to a T all of those cases fit that same kind of arc whether some of the more occult ones um you know the ones that involve torture I think were I think very important. The one that happened in um, Providence, Rhode Island, I wish I could remember his name offhand. There was also another one that was included in one of the original Gannon books, and that was a guy out of Phil- another Philadelphia case, and his name was Booth. And they talked about Tommy Booth, because where he died, there was all kinds of like a me- mega sigil that involved the smiley face in the back of the place where they had already searched and then found his body. So it shows that that's a case where Gannon and Gilbertson, I think, conclusively proved that somebody disappeared and was still alive before they died. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty dark <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, by the, the target, yeah, but by, by the they, time you get, I'm sorry. The go other ahead. interesting, the other interesting thing about the case is that they they surmised or deduced that he was either supposed to be inducted into a group or. And said no, and that's what they think is why he ended up dead. Hmm. Yeah, and and you know the the sort of last third where you kind of give the viewer an idea of why these things might be happening. Uh, you know, you you relate it to some sort of pop culture figures. And by the way, I'll 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 shoot you an email on the side. There was a uh, the one. The one music group in particular you talk about, I watched the uh, the video they had, and I I saw the smiley face in the one video. Um, right. I'll send it to you. But yeah, anyways, the uh, the meaning of this smiley face uh, could could you maybe explain and break down what what that means here and why we see it connected to these murders? Well, it goes back. I mean, there's a deeper meaning, but I think that it's well uh, explicated in Alan Moore's The Watchmen. The guy who it starts off, if you remember the comic book, if you, people have read the comic book or seen the movie, the show starts out with a guy who now plays the bad guy on The Walking Dead. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's wearing, he has a smiley face on his label, and that's where the blood lends up, and he says it's all just a big joke. And they talk about that character comedian as being in the Vietnam War, and I talk about it in the documentary where... You know, he looks at ultraviolence and death and says it's all just a big joke. You know, that's kind of a distillation of his, of his opinion. And that's something that Crowley believed, that the universe was a big comedic joke. So I think that means that you can kind of do whatever you want. I think that's the analog or corollary to that idea. And that's what uh, that smiley face represents. And it's also interesting that the Joker character from the DC Comics, he's described as a nihilist. And he obviously, you know, embodies this smiley face uh, you know, nothing matters, do what you want kind of idea. In the original, the laughing joke or whatever, the killing joke was written by Alan Moore. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so that was one of his one of his comic book writings, yeah. So you see that, that nihilism and, you know, uncaring for the violence that they have. 
And then it goes back even before. How did Alan Moore adopt that? That's the real question. Who was using the smiley face before that? Hmm. Yeah, it, I, I think it does go deeper. Uh, and, and you explain more in the in the video. Um, as, you know, I don't want to reveal too much because I think the the viewers, if they watch it, they'll it, it'll make more sense as they watch it. Um, the uh, you know another another um, another piece of work that you mentioned in the video that we see the smiley faces on Fight Club, which I thought was interesting because you know I watched that movie twenty years ago or whatever it was, and uh, hadn't realized uh, the connections there because that movie's kind of more philosophical and. You know, I don't know if nihilism is oh, the right word for it, but I think it's nihilistic if you look at it. If you look mm. at the arc of the character, um, what is it, Tyler Durden, and what's the other his character? I think they call him the narrator. The narrator, and Tyler Durden, like who becomes Tyler Durden. It's a destruction of nihilism. You know, I want mm. the world to end, and then he becomes part of a secret society. He creates an underground secret society where you have to do stuff to belong. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, that's really what they're doing in that house. And if you watch Brad Pitt. He makes all these hand gestures with a thumb to his chin, which is a real Crowley thing. I have pictures of Crowley doing that same stuff. And there's the smiley face. And then, it's, I mean, whoever made and wrote that movie knew exactly what was coming on 9-11. Because at the very end, the explosion in the background when they blow up those towers, those towers that blow up are the twin towers of Los Angeles. Basically, um, was it 2029 and 2027 Century Park East in Los Angeles, where it's two triangular towers I can't remember what their height is, but they're standing over a, a tri- an eye in a triangle. It's all Illuminati stuff. So, I mean, I think that movie came out in 1999. They have the spherical caryatid, if you remember that ball, that brass ball that rolls down and brolas up to Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right there in the middle of the Twin Towers and 9-11. So, Smiley, uh, that movie, incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible movie on so many levels. And the Chaos Magic thing is there to- the smiley face that pops up and shows in the movies after, I think they blew, they, it was like one of their actions, one of the secret society's action was to go to a tower somewhere and create a smiley face, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it again because I think their their whole sort of action was to cause chaos. Uh, and, and that was the idea behind the smiley face was just like controlled chaos and, uh, uh, you know. Operation Chaos, that's what they called it. That's yeah, it was, huh? Chaos, Jared Leto, who... Is the Joker? So there's all kinds of weird synchronicities and connections with people and writers in that. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm gonna have to watch it one more time because uh, there's a lot of ideas there that I wasn't I wasn't too familiar with at the time. Uh, and and to talk about 9/11, I think we could maybe segue more into Crowley because I I think this is a uh, you know reading your book. Uh, I think you've got possibly the best book to explain this this sort of perspective on Crowley that that some of us have and you you're able to cite his works and his actual words to suggest that maybe he is a you know a devil worshiper or a satanist or whatever you want to call it and and like I've said before if if people pay attention they'll they'll see that with all these celebrities and artists wearing t-shirts of Crowley uh, showing the likeness of Crowley album covers named after Crowley's do it thou wilt. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's tons and tons of references to this guy. Um, and I think they are fooled into believing that, well, this is just kind of like the first rebel and he embodies the idea of independence and freedom. Right. Uh, but from your perspective, how would, how would you describe Alistair Crowley? 
I would describe him as the foremost Satan worshiper, written Satan worshiper of all time, really at the very top, because he left so many writings, his magical works, his steps in becoming a ma- magician, um, his, his poetry. But he admitted that when, you know, he, he received books, he was an automatic writer mm-hmm. and he received a book called the book of the law in 1904 when he was in Egypt at what's now the Egyptian museum. It used to be the blue lock museum that he said was received to him. And I think it was April 9th, 10th and 12th. He received a book over his shoulder. There was some power that dictated whether it's true or not. You know, nobody knows, but he still wrote this and that book became the foremost aspect or the really the foundation of his religion of the Philema was the book of the law which he said received by this being called Awas. well <clears throat> what people don't know is Awas is a blind for satan which he admits later on in his writing i think he posted that somewhere where he said mm-hmm. in one paragraph that i just want the world to know that Awas is the um satan you know lucifer satan of this starry part of the galaxy you know so he the problem with crowley that he shielded some of his meanings through blinds, whether it's the Holy Guardian Angel or all these other things. So some people can, non-initiates would glance over his meaning. But if you were initiated, all of those terms would be very clear to you. Um, so I was Holy Guardian Angel, all these other things, um, you know, you wouldn't know. But other people could use them and go, oh, I know what he means. I know that's a blind. So um, I think when people skate over his meanings, and also some people know the deeper meaning of Crowley, but they're going to give you a superficial, um, saccharine, sanitized, sugar coating of what he meant, possibly to attract you. Oh, you know, Crowleyism and the OTO, this is all for your benefit. It's for self-growth. It's like a new age, you know, thing. Oh, don't you want to learn? Don't you want to have understanding? Don't you want to, you know, in- increase your artistic ability? You know, it's kind of the same thing that Scientology promises, right? Yeah. Which is very similar because... You know, Hubbard was an OTO, probably an OTO member, was at the Thalema Lodge, and, you know, adapted so many of Crowley's ideas, and he thought he was the one who came after, which there's a little part of the Book of Law that says there shall be another who will come after and interpret things. And that person, that real hardcore occultist, and there's other people out there who claim to be the one who come after, but Hubbard saw himself as the one who came after Crowley to establish and increase what Crowley wrote. And in some ways you have to give him credit for possibly being that person because Hubbard was at one time was the most published author in the world and Scientology covered the earth. And his own son, which I cover in my book, Children of the Beast said, Scientology is black magic carried over, over a longer period of time. Hmm. So, and his son used to wrote in his biography. If you read the book, Children of the Beast, that at the very early parts of Scientology, when Hubbard wasn't doing massive amounts of drugs and speed, he would pour over Crowley's writings before going out on talks, and he would pour and fondle Crowley's books and stuff. And he mentions Crowley. I mean, there's actually an audio of Hubbard talking about Crowley. Um, so, yeah, and you know, your there's book. all these parts. There's all these, uh, just, to, just to finish this kind of thing that you stated, there's just all these aspects to Crowley where you can give only one facet to the public and not understand the totality of what he was up to, you know? They don't talk about all the times that he was trying to do these rituals, that he was, you know, the the lamb being this kind of strange creature that he channeled in 1918 and drew a picture of that looks exactly like a gray alien to blow people's minds that this is some kind of create uh, contact with an entity that's verified in 1918, way before, 
you know, 1947s or any UFOs. And they don't talk about the cross of a frog where he's insulting Christ or world's tragedy, but the world's tragedy is Jesus Christ and he just has all these blasphemies in there that Mary was in, you know, I don't even want to talk about it, but the world's tragedy, even some of his followers said the public should never see the world's tragedy. JFC Fuller, who was invited to Hitler's birthday, said the public can never read the world's tragedy because it is too vicious. Because I mean, there's, I mean, I don't even want to go into it. There's unbelievable stuff in there. So, um, yeah, I just think that I think going back, people, unfortunately, for whatever reason, inclination, not enough time. They have very superficial understandings of topics, which is the way to. And Crowley talks a, uh, quite a bit, you know, and in your book it becomes obvious if you if you look for it as you're reading. There's themes of this this concept of human or 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 sacrifice of a life, uh, which you know the energy of it relates to magic and whatnot. Could you could you explain to the listeners? you know, some of the ideas behind the sacrifice and how Crowley did in fact do this sort of thing. Right. I mean, and it started very early. He was sacrificing doves, um, right when he was coming out of the golden dawn, even before the turn of the 20th century. So 1897, 98. And he wrote in his magical masterwork, magic and theory and practice that beings have energy. Energy is stored up. The energy is supposed to release, be released in a certain environment to create energy, and the ideal sacrifice is an eight-year-old, highly intelligent boy. So he's writing about that, but he also includes it in Lever 66. World's tragedy starts with the sacrifice of a child. Um, he talks about blood, like covering the altar as wine. So the notion of sacrifice is there. It's not overt, but um, he does state it. I mean, and even when he was in Busada, which is Algeria, he was with one of his followers at the time, Victor Newberg. They sacrificed, I think it was doves, to give um, energy to create this being they called, it wasn't Babylon, it was the Koronzon, C H O R O Z O N. So that was it. And you know, you see the same kind of theory even when you look at Matamoros, this guy, Adolfo Constanzo. You know, he had this Naganga device where he would put blood in, and that's how these spirits would materialize. So. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Crowley definitely talks about that. It's not, uh, it's not one of the overt aspects of Crowleyism, but he definitely, it's in there, magic and theory and practice. I mean, the quote is in there. You can just look it up. Yeah. Now, speaking of Corone Zone, which is part of this idea of crossing the abyss and how you have to dissolve your ego and all this kind of occult sort of stuff, um, in your book, it demonstrates this, this trend of, people close to Crowley that have some kind of tragic end, um, yeah. you know, similar to Crowley himself because he died, uh, you know, addicted to heroin supposedly because of, I guess, an asthma issue he had. Wasn't uh, supposed He was a heavy addict. Yeah. I mean, what do you make of that? Amount. Well, I think that Crowley left a, a real wake of wreckage in his life. You know, one of his, this guy, Mud, committed suicide. Crowley said, get a, get a big, uh, insurance policy, then kill yourself so I can get the money to create, create the great work. He had another woman named Hersig, who was one of his scarlet women, who he did rituals with, branded her on the chest. And then when his magical abbey of Thelema got shut down in, in Sicily, he just abandoned her. You know, I gotta go off somebody else. So she was left to become a prostitute, uh, in the Paris streets. So, you know, real, I mean, he left, he had children that he never spent time with. He had one of his child, he told, said, 
oh, she'll make a good little whore. I think he wrote that about her. So, you know, uh, one, he drove insane. Another drank herself to insanity. That was uh, the woman who was with him when he received the Book of the Law in 1904. Her name was Kelly. So you just see this record, you know, and then this one girl he beat up, broke her eye socket, sent her out. I mean, there's other statements of some of these other women. They said, we're lucky to escape with our lives. I include that in my book. So, yeah, I mean, I would see the records. And then you could see the people who are with, who are followers of Crowley. A lot of them reach tragic ends, you know. Yeah, um, it seems like this this isn't a a path that works well, yet people are still interested in it. Claiming, I think that the promise of Crowley is that you can indulge all your carnal, selfish desires and call it a religion. So, you know, he integrated in his rituals, sexual stuff and drugs, and that's kind of what is the easy path for, you know, anybody, really. I mean, I think it's the left-handed path, and, you know, I think that that appeals to a certain segment of society in anywhere, you know? Whether, and then, you know, a lot of the stuff he, uh, tried to resurrect from the past the rights of Eleusis and all the stuff that happened in Greece. So, you know, I think that he was just one manifestation or emanation in history of people doing the same stuff, type of stuff. You know? I see a lot of in, uh, sort of overlap between these new age ideas, which, which I've dabbled in for like the self-help aspect. But when you, when you follow it down the line, you, you end up in the territory of, you know, Hitler, Crowley, Blavatsky, and you find out that they all have masonry. Yeah. All very similar ideas here. Right. Um, no, yeah. I agree. And I mean, I think that that's the, the kind of sugar coating on Crowley and other of these people is that they had this kind of, you know, Oh, this is, you know, good. We're, we're in the self realization, self exploration. How, you know, however, you know, we're, we we're superior to everybody else and we can do whatever we want and all this stuff. So yeah, so it's a, it's kind of like a dangerous path. I think the left-hand path. So yeah, but Crowley could be taught. He wrote for the new age. There was a, a book called the new, uh, not a, uh, a uh, magazine called the new age that Crowley wrote for. So yeah, it's a, uh, you know, he's part of it. He, he got his 33rd degree by a guy by the name of Yarker, who was a known Mason. He wrote in Crowley's, own autobiography he talks about a lot of his relationship with people and one was Yarker where he was trying to Crowley was uh, encouraging Yarker to change the Masonic rituals because he didn't think that they were accurate in the you know the cult record a cult record which never happened but it just shows that he was in contact with those people not one of them I wonder if um you know to go to this idea of you know the problems with the left hand path and you know, I'm also a Christian. I, uh, I I acknowledge that maybe what I believe isn't great for everybody, though. Um, but I do wonder if a lot of the teachings that that I understand from from Christianity is like, you know, we're all humans. We all are prone to sin, and when you follow a religion like Thelema, or you know, and I don't know, I don't profess to understand Thelema exactly. I've never attended a ceremony or whatever but the the idea that you can pursue your own selfish desires seems to me like it just pushes you towards you know what they would call like the base frequencies or uh you know kind of like the man's sinful nature uh which you know in essence i feel like is by definition satanic somewhat yeah i would agree with that i mean i would say that you know Crowley wrote the only sin is restriction you know so don't be restricted by rules or anything like that. Um, do your own will. And I think that that's always led 
to so much conflict. Crowley was in conflict with people's old life. He never, you know, submitted to other people or anything like that. So it was always this kind of dynamic where he had with other people that, you know, end up in terrible consequences. And I think that that's the scary part of a lot of his, his doctrine. He didn't believe in see, I mean, his Lieber 77, man is God, right? So mm-hmm. there's no God, but man, which, you know, I think, you know, creates a, dy- you know, this kind of interplay of individuals where, just doesn't work out if everybody thinks there's a god no i'm a god i'm a god you know it just doesn't it doesn't end well and i think that also he entered into these dangerous territory that he might have been able to handle but all these other people drive them insane you know doing a ton of drugs and psychedelics and things like that that cruelly advocate if you look at the 60s which you know was kind of like the birth of his child the child of horus just a level of drug overdoses madness ruined relationships, this whole thing that Leary advocated, you know, it was something people went through, but not a lot of people, came, not everybody came out of that um, intact. Doing doing one's own will could very possibly end up being like like Hitler. You know, he thought he was following his true will. Yeah. Um, and, and you talk about this in your your Children of the Beast book. Uh, you know, what are some, who are some other of these, these big names that you would consider Children of the Beast? Leary, Timothy Leary, I think would be an important one. He was kind of, he actually said he was carrying on Crowley's tradition, which I think is remarkable. Um, when he was out advocating the use, the use of drugs, LSD, traveling around. I mean, I think that a lot of people saw Leary as this kind of pleasant, jolly scientist who was, you know, a, a psych, psychologist, but there was a darker aspect of, of Leary where he was in Busada where Crowley did this ritual where he supposedly, you know, the beast of the abyss appeared. Um, and Leary himself said, these are synchronicities that are so important, you know, synchronicities between himself and Crowley. So I do think that he was a kind of Pied Piper of, of some pretty gnarly stuff that, you know, I think that the advocacy of LSD was determined in the 50s that it made people, you know, either drove them crazy or made them more docile. And uh, so he might have, you know, he was a, he was a proponent of that. I, who else did I have? Marilyn Manson. I wrote about, you know, him as being somebody who's interested in the process. Church, uh, Scientology, definitely Hubbard, Children of the Beast, definitely, um, pretty much established that he was friends with Jack Parsons at the Thelema Lodge. And, you know, thought he was the, like I talked to her about earlier, he was the one who come after in the book of the law. So, and, you know, Scientology is just, uh, a wreck for people who come out of it. You can go watch Leah Romini's show and these people, you know, they're lucky to, to be alive. So those are a few of them. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting in your book I read that Crowley had an explosion in a laboratory, which was how uh, Jack Parsons died, too. Uh, so it seems like dabbling with this stuff has uh, very dangerous side effects. You can see the pockmarks on Crowley's face. There's like the more famous picture that I use on the cover of Children of the Beast, where his pockmarks, that was from an explosion he made when he was younger that damaged his face and then Parsons died. Parsons was supposedly an explosive expert, but that's how he made the JTO, the jet assisted takeoff was, um, you know, basically the predicate before the jet was explosives in, uh, containing the can. So yeah, it was hmm. interesting. You, you also said that, uh, Alfred Kinsey, uh, was somehow related to Crowley. Could you elaborate more on that? So Kinsey was really the kind of this kind of sexologist. The guy was out of his mind crazy. If you read my book, there's stuff in there that 
you know, the guy never should be right. He's actually a doctor of zoology who became a sexologist and changed people's understanding of sexual relations. But it turns out a lot of his scientists, science, science was scientism. It was bogus stuff he made out that people couldn't actually uh, verify. And he would do these experiments on, I mean, just unspeakable depravity. But he was interested in Crowley um, and what wanted to obtain Crowley's diaries because of all the stuff that Crowley wrote, wrote about, about drugs and sex. And later on in Kinsey's life, before he died, he traveled to uh, Crowley's Abbey of Philema with none other than Kenneth Anger, hmm. who would go on to write um, this kind of Lucifer's, Lucifer Rising. Um, but uh, there are actually, he did experiments, Kinsey did experiments with Anger, and there's actually video in a Chris Pinto movie called The Kinsey Syndrome. He's actually featured in a film in bed with Kinsey filming. So um, there are actually pictures of Kenneth Anger and Kinsey at the Abbey of Philema. And then Anger goes on to be kind of a, a torchbearer for Crowley and was actually um, a roommate with none other than Bobby Boozelay, who ended up killing Hinman and was part of the Manson family. And I, I think that if people ever talk about Manson and leave out Kenneth Anger, I don't think they're getting the totality of the understanding of the Manson family who, um, Charles Manson knew knew so much about Scientology that they actually said there's nothing else to learn here, and they used all kinds of process ideas, which was an offshoot of Scientology. The founders yeah. were Scientology. So that, that Manson case is uh, fascinating to me, and they say, you know, Charlie was a operating Thetan, which is like the highest level that even Jesus yep. was uh, at, um, and uh, Kenneth Anger, I. I believe, I think it was before Beausoleil got got arrested. Yeah. They did some sort of satanic ceremony in a church. They they lied to the church and somehow got in there and did this big satanic ritual that ended horrifically or something. Yeah, so there was all kinds. I mean, Kenneth, Ang- I mean, Beausoleil wrote in his biography or something about how he had some out of body experience with anger, where they like changed and went through dimensions. I mean, it's yeah. crazy, and nobody ever talks about that in the whole the whole arc of the Manson family stories, you know? So yeah, it's really there interesting. Was a book, there was a book that uh, the process church actually sued and it was by, I can't remember. Ed Sanders. The Ed Sanders. Yeah. yeah. So that, that whole chapter, which I have was taken out of that book with that, that dealt with Charles and the process. And Charles Manson was associated with the solar lodge down here, which was an OTO offshoot down here in Los Angeles where I live. So you know, there were all kinds of connections with Charles Manson and that, that people just kind of gloss over. It's a shame. There's a picture. Have you ever seen the picture of Charles Manson where he's making the Typhonian hand sign, two fingers up? No, um, I don't think so. Yeah, it's incredible. I'll send it to you. Huh. It's Yeah, so, I mean, you don't try, and this is pre-internet age. So how did Manson know about that, you know? Yeah, I've, seen, mean, the, I've seen the images of, uh, Sh- not Sharon Tate, uh, Susan Atkins, and I, I think it was Crenway who were walking through the halls of justice in L.A., and they do the uh, the all-seeing eye 666 hand. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's crazy. All these hand signs that you see celebrities making today, these guys were making, you know, pre-internet. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Um, now, as far as Crowley goes, one of the big sort of divisive ideas I, I've seen and read is, was he or was he not a quote-unquote Satanist? Um, you know, and I could tell reading your book and I'm sure that the, the listeners are going to guess the answer, but what do you think? Was, was he truly course, what we would say saying this? Of course. He just was sophisticated. He was, you know, he wouldn't bow down and say, it was, and to him, Satan, he had that old, 
Luciferian notion where Satan is your helper, right? Mm -hmm. So he's not my enemy. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, you can go through some of his writings where he says, you know, I didn't want to just become a follower of Satan. I wanted to become his chief of staff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's to say he's not a Satanist. I think people can try that, but, uh, it's just not, it's not. What, what's okay. curious to me when I read your book, there you, you pull out a lot of his ideas and, and the statements he's made, <laughs> and a lot of them, they they tie in to Satanism, the, you know, the Church of Satan, and, you know, Satanized ideas like, um, you know, and, and I don't know the quote off the top of my head, but something to the effect of, like, if, if somebody gets in your way, you're you're free to destroy them right. to That's get Labor what you need. Yeah, Labor 77. And, and what's curious to me if you if you go to the Church of Satan's website and you read about all the things that they believe, you know they make it sound like oh we're just atheists, but when you read like some of their views, I think man I don't know it seems like you're devil worshippers without actually claiming to worship the devil, uh, which is what kind of Crowley does. I agree. I totally agree. I mean he says yeah. I mean he admits to so many things that yeah. It's uh, it's hard to believe. I, it's just that, you know, he uses God in terms. Do you see that picture of Manson that I sent you on uh, Skype? Yeah, let me grab it real quick. Just look at it. So on his left hand, he's making the Typhonian hand sign, and on his right, it's the peace sign. Uh, can't do two things at once. Okay. I'm too simple for that. <laughs> it's somewhere on Skype, hopefully. You okay, here we go. I got it. Let me open it up. Oh, oh yeah, look at that. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and in, in um in one of the books I read about Manson, I think it might have been Adam Go Rightly's book, he talks about how during one of the trials he was flashing these Freemason hand signs. Um, I'm curious if this isn't one example of that. I mean, I don't know where that picture was taken, but yeah, I mean All right, and I'll I'll post yeah, that I mean, on he was, he, yeah, Manson had had some kind of juice, you know, some kind of occult thing was going on, all kinds of stuff he did. And his followers, some of his followers said he did all kinds of miracles. I don't know whether they were fake or what, but, you know, he had them under his thumb. I mean, the family is the same way the Process Church talked about themselves, the family, and there's all kinds of tie-ins there. But, yeah, I put, I wrote a, a piece on uh, Manson in my book, in Children of the Beast, Manson, Buzelay, Anger, all very important. And I'll uh, upload that image to IlluminatiWatcher.com of, of uh, the Manson image. I've never seen that before. That's interesting. Uh, okay, so um, one last one last question, because you talked about nine eleven, which I also believe was this sort of pivotal time period of change in our culture, in our world. How does Crowley uh, fit into this idea of nine eleven? Okay, so nine um, eleven happened on nine eleven two thousand one. The two. Crowley actually, uh, kind of his prime number was 11, the number of magic, for a variety of reasons. Actually, the number of 11 in Crowley's system was also the number of the new Aeon. So it was not only the number of magic, but also in the original, uh, in the original magical society that he was in, you know, the, there was a guy by the name of William Westcott who wrote a book about numbers and their power, and 11 was associated with negativity, death, all this stuff. So, there was these kind of correspondences of the number 11. But the number of 11 is the number of magic for a variety of reasons. One is because it is the joining of the pentagram and the hexagram. So in the magical ideas, the hexagram is 
the macrocosm and the pentagram is the microcosm, and the fusing of those two together comes to the, the center of the magician, who is the number 11. Just like Harry Potter's wand is 11. That's not a mistake. Huh, so, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So that she, whoever, she uh, either got her ideas from somebody, or she was ghostwritten for the Harry Potter series. So Harry Potter's name itself is a magician's number beca- uh, name because Harry's five and Potter's six, right? Okay. So, yes. Yeah. That's not a mistake. I don't know the Harry Potter story. I really should. I do know that she came out and said that the, you know, and I don't know the name of it, the symbol with the triangle with the circle and all that was inspired by the Freemason Convent Square. That's she's full of baloney. That's like a. That's <laughs> actually something that's used in the magical tradition uh-huh. to summon people. So yeah, I mean, I think that she's 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 not telling the truth there. Huh. Um, but, proceed with your nine uh, eleven. So uh, we go back. It's the number of the new Aeon, all this stuff. But uh, so the buildings themselves are an ideogram kind of uh, view. And Crowley talked about 11 as an ideogram as well, which is they represent like two sides of anything coming together, which is kind of like this idea of what is it? Saw that coagula. I forgot what it was, but it basically you bring in two opposite things to create something new. Um, So 9-11 those buildings were actually a doorway, you know. They were they, they correspond with all these Boaz and Jachin symbols in the old temple and the pillars of Hercules, all this stuff. They were 110 stories high, 11, two 11s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, incredible building. So even the buildings themselves had mystical power, mystical understandings. But on the night, the day of 9/11, all of those planes correspond. To Crowley's prime numbers, 11, 77, 93, and 175 is which God do you love, you know? So, or which do you adore? And that's kind of a, a notion within the occult, you know, adoring uh, Satan and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> um, Crowley used the Gematria, which is a subset of the Kabbalah, to break down words into the numerical value in English, English, Greek, and Hebrew. And Thelema and Agape were two words that equal 93. So those were both very important numbers to him. And you had, uh, was it Flight 93 is the... Flight 93 and Flight 77. So 77 was the Libra Oz. And then 7 is the number of the perfected man. So two seventy sevens, And then you talk about the Seal of Babylon, which is 77 added together. Mm-hmm. Babylon and Beast are the two numbers that fuse together. Um, 277. So... There's all of these kind of deeper meanings within the occult that those planes uh, had. And, you know, it shows that this, this event was planned well in advance, decades in advance. And Crowley is an aspect of it, you know, that, uh, that is tied into the events of 9-11. If you look at Crowley's ideas for the world, he had a, a political view. You know, he had political views. He believed in very, the survival of the fittest. He was a Darwinist. He was an elitist. He believed in the, the, the rule of the few over the many. Um, he was an aristocrat. You know, he didn't believe in, in really de- kind of dealing or talking to any lower class people, which he never did. He wasn't an egalitarian. And I believe that those were the sensibilities that were integrated into the post 9-11 world. Yeah, and you talked about the the saw of coagula, which is the uh, you know the symbol of the Baphomet and and alchemy. And it's interesting that they took the two the twin towers, the twin pillars, uh, also known as Boaz and Jaquin, uh, tore them down and then replaced it with a single uh, one. They call the One World Tower with right. 
with black cubes as the memorial for the previous towers. So it's oh, loaded crazy. with occult symbolism. Oh, look, it's still there. So you have the two coming together as one, the new a, the new Aeon. Absolutely. So it's a, and it's interesting that they tied it in to dates that were important in a Christian sense, because those are dates. This is supposedly 2000 years since Christ, right? So mm. it's interesting that they put that in there. Um, and 9-11, you know, some people have speculated that that was the date when Christ was born. You know, there's pretty good research probably in there. So, really? You know, and another, and another thing, when you draw which circle, um, the dimensions to go into the other world are 9 and 11. So the two circles are 9 feet by 11 feet. And that's by uh, one of the followers who was given something by, by Crowley, the founder of what's known as Wicca. When people say Wicca is just a, like a, a happy forest cold, actually it's just a bunch of nonsense and bogusness if you actually go back and look at the founder of wicca gerald gardner he was given an oto charter from crowley new crowley and adopted some of uh, crowley's rituals into some of his stuff so uh that whole wicca nonsense and you can read about that in children of the beast That's have, I, yeah these guys are all connected dude it goes all the way back it's amazing how, how it really really does all connect um you know, and, and actually, I do have one more question for you. Are you being subjected to this uh, YouTube shutdown thing that's been yeah. going on this week? I got a strike on one of my channels. So, okay. So, when I first started using YouTube, I used two different channels. And so, they go and just kind of arbitrarily and capriciously demonetize everything. And then I got a strike for after the event in Vegas. I called a group of people idiots. I don't even know their names. But they said that that was harassment and bullying. Somebody <laughs> flagged it, and so I have one strike on one channel. My other channels don't have strikes, but I mean, I'm been demonetized into nothingness. I mean, it's just yeah. like I don't. I, there's no incentive for me to be on YouTube ever again. What's your experience? Yeah, same thing. They demonetized everything. Um, you know, the problem I had was that I tried to find another avenue to put videos up. The problem is nobody's on these other video streaming platforms. YouTube, They're pretty much all on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's. It's the big dog, you know. Yeah, I mean, they practically have a monopoly. So it's like if you want people to see this stuff, you got to use it. But like you said, uh, I've had one strike uh, this last week. I'm waiting for them to hit me with something, but they haven't yet. But it looks like they're 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 hitting Freeman, uh, higher side chats. Wow, they uh, hit those. Freeman and higher side. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I've been reading on Twitter um, and, and a couple of other big names. In fact, the Washington Post wrote an article about what's going on with it. Uh, YouTube is trying to make it sound like, from what I gathered, something to the effect of they hired some new people and they're trying to interpret the policy and all this kind of BS. But yeah, It's uh, hard it, to believe. I mean, it's hard it to believe is. that they would do that. I heard, and I haven't verified it, that they got people from the Southern Poverty Law Center to go back and look at videos. You want to talk about a hate group or a an anti-Christian hate group, that's just the top of the list, man. That's mm. incredible. They they went after like Christians for ideas for saying they were pro-life. Mm. Uh, so if they are part of this whole thing, you're just like, you're in crazy land, man. There's yeah, it's, it's curious times we live in for sure. Because, yeah, oh, interesting times. Man. Yeah, <laughs> things are definitely happening all around us with the conspiracy world. Um, we're out of time, but... Uh, you know, could you tell the listeners where they can catch up with your work and, and perhaps, you know, see your video and all that? My video is on Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. All you have to do is type in smiley face and it should pop up. Um, it's three and a half hours. 
Uh, it's been watched quite a few times, but or you can also do. Let's see, what do you? I think you can just type in William Ramsey on Vimeo. Let me just double check. But it's there. And I'll post a link on IlluminatiWatcher.com. That would be great. As well. Um, so the, uh, it's, you know, you can watch it at your own leisure, but, uh, it's three and a half hours, tons of information. Um, you know, oh, that's why they put me on a mature content. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I can't even find my own movie. And Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll add a caveat. I, I would advise to buy it because I actually bought it because, um, you know, the other option is like, I think it's like a 24 hour rental. Um, and I, I actually I had to break it, it up over week, a few right? days. Yeah. It's long. I think I have it on a rental where you can watch it over a week or five days. Oh, is it that long? Okay. Yeah, it's a right. one week streaming period. Oh, so nice. one week stream in or stream anytime. So it's on there, but it's under Vimeo.com on demand smiley face. So Vimeo.com slash on demand slash smiley face. I do post a lot on Facebook which I hate posting on Facebook, so i got to find another platform. <laughs> um, all my videos are on my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates or William Ramsey. I do have a radio show on Ed Opperman Report or Awake Radio, so I do that once a week. And I sometimes post on Twitter, but all my books are available at my website, William Ramsey Investigates, if you want a signed copy. They're also all available on Amazon. Awesome. Okay, I'm... Jotting all those links down, and I'll I'll publish all of those on IlluminatiWatch.com and on the Patreon uh, website where I'll have the feed for this audio. Uh, but hey, thanks for coming back on the show. I imagine we will reconnect again in the uh, near future, so long as the uh, free speech is still intact in our country. Yeah, really. If we can rely <laughs> on the constitutional First Amendment rights, would be be something else, right? <laughs> exactly. By the Constitution. What a thought. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, William. We'll talk to you later. All right. Cheers. Bye. There you have it. Uh, William Ramsey, he was a great guest before and again here to blow your mind and make you think twice. So I will post all the links to his feeds on IlluminatiWatcher.com for this specific post and article. Uh, you can also, again, sign up for the Patreon.com backslash IlluminatiWatcher. And get in on this free book giveaway. It's a great book. Uh, it goes through, I've got all these highlights in it when I read it. Um, you know, all these things that we talked about on the show, you know, we glossed over it. He goes much, much deeper in on this. So, um, you know, check out his work. He's a really great investigator, really good researcher, and I will definitely have him back on again in the future. Uh, if nothing else, please go to iTunes and leave a review. I've been reading all of them. I appreciate it a lot. You guys that are leaving the reviews for iTunes allow my show to move up in the rankings, and this actually opens up the minds of more people. Uh, So doing that actually helps a lot more than you would even realize. So thanks again for listening. I appreciate your sponsorship on Patreon, and I appreciate your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you.